Of Love Babs Love Talk on Babs Rolls Ivy. I'm delighted to welcome David. I'm your whew, artist, photographer, businessman, and you have a beautiful book out that uh, showcases, highlights, and celebrates Jamaica. And on the heels of Jamaica cele- celebrating 60, 60 years of his of his freedom and liberation from the crown, this is a good time to be an artist. How are you, David? <laughs> I'm wonderful. I I I don't know if I expected this ball of energy in terms of the vibe, the music, your energy, your smile. I I gotta give it to you. You bring the energy. It's beautiful. I love this. I love this. <laughs> well, well, thank you, thank you. I'm an honorary Jamaican, so I'm gonna claim that part of it, so that uh, you understand that I I am. It's about one love. That's it. The <laughs> love is felt. The love is great. And so thank you so much for having me. Um, I love talking about Jamaica. I was born there. I grew up there. Uh, it's a funny balance to me because I've actually lived in the U.S. for 27 years now. And I lived in Jamaica for 27 years. So that makes me the total of 27 and 27 for my age. But honestly... I, even though I'm 100% Jamaican, I've lived here as long as I lived there. And how does that feel? And, and, and is, this, is this your first um, real effort at photog- photographing Jamaica this way? No, definitely not. <laughs> so I'm glad you asked in that way. So uh, for those who may know, um, I've done a book for Jamaica's 50th anniversary of independence 10 years ago which was extremely successful and was a wonderful um, exploration of photography in Jamaica. I also obviously have now done a book for Jamaica's 60th anniversary of independence. However, in between those times, I've done much other work in Jamaica, both as a private photographer working for my clients, as well as doing work for the government of Jamaica. So I've, I've done a lot of the tourism photography Um, Certainly, at least in the last few years, I've done probably the most of their photography for what the the government uses to attract visitors from the United States, United Kingdom and so on. Mm -hmm. So when you when you do a 50th and a 50th anniversary celebratory book and you're like, okay, I I know all there is to see in Jamaica. So you get to the 60th year. What do you say? Is there some new thing about Jamaica I could capture? You know what's funny is that you can never capture all of Jamaica. So there is, there's always new one. And, and people think of Jamaica as a small island. It's not small. It's, it's tremendous. So I could go back every year and do another book in Jamaica if I had the time and if I had the resources. It is so, there's so much, literally so much to cover without duplicating anything. It's all completely new material. And then additionally, from it being new material, 
the country continues to develop in different ways. So there are more things to see, more things to experience. And I will say that the biggest distinction for me between the book 10 years ago and this current book, even though they're both, you know, big, solid coffee table products, the biggest difference is that the latest book, which we did for Jamaica 60, was more a tell-all style, meaning it has a lot more facts and information about the country and about things to do there, whereas the first book was really more an artistic expression. It was, I grew up in Jamaica, I had left Jamaica, I was living in the United States, and I wanted to show my love and my passion for the place of my birth. And so I went to Jamaica shooting for what were the things that reminded me of my youth, and in particular, the things that made me happy as a young man growing up in Jamaica. This effort now for the 60th is completely different. This is more a more polished and finished book. And I say this again respectfully, Ms. Babs. I, I want you to, uh, sorry, let me say the fabulous Babs. Let me just, <laughs> hey, hey, you own it. It's, it's you, the hair, everything. You are fabulous. The glasses, everything, your smile. You just, you're winning all over the place. But I'll, I'll say this. When I did the first effort, you know, I was not thinking of doing a book at all. And so when the idea was proposed to me by the publisher, it breathed a life into me. Since that time, my company that I run has become a publishing company. So while I didn't publish the first book myself, this new effort is an effort that's managed by my own publishing company. We do a lot of work for a lot of other um, clientele who hire us to handle publishing. So we have a debt, a dearth, a, 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 a large volume of experience in publishing now was when I did the first book, I was literally somebody who never had thought of doing publishing at all in my life. And now we have our own magazine line. We've done magazine lines for other companies. We've done other books. We, we're, we're, uh, we're very seasoned in the publishing game now. Mm. So let's change gears a little bit. So where'd you grow up in Jamaica? Tell me about what that was like growing up in Jamaica and, and what did you learn? What, what were the gifts? There's so many gifts growing up in Jamaica, but you know what? I, I'll say I grew up in a place called Kingston. Oh my God. So boring. I love Kingston. Every, everybody feels they're from Kingston, but I was, I was born. <laughs> <laughs> I was born in a hospital in Kingston. I live in St. Andrew, which is the suburb of Kingston. And so I grew up there and I lived there the whole time. So what happens is because I have a you know family that's broad and is in many areas, I would travel all over the island to visit with family as I grew up and as, you know, uh, as my own this determined exploration uh, yielded interest for me, I went everywhere and I went with an eye to explore. I went to have fun. But... What did I learn? I learned so many things. First of all, I learned to be an entrepreneur because both of my parents were entrepreneurs, one. And then two, in addition to them being entrepreneurs, which really is like one of the greatest things that Jamaica can give you. And I mean that in the sense of all, any developing nation, any third world nation is going to have a lot of entrepreneurs because there isn't established businesses 
to give people the type of uh, job security needed to depend on that way of living. So people who strive to have success, strive to be on their own, they're going to learn how to make a trade or a business out of a trade or how to make something work for them. It could be that you're collecting mangoes and selling them on the street corner, or it could be that you're, you know, making a cook shop, or it could be anything. You're going to do gardening, you're going to do whatever it was. So I, as a very young man, in still in high school, I started, and again, I start in, in the Caribbean, in Jamaica, you start high school at 10. So wow. I, started high, I started high school at 10, because that's, that's the English system. That's the, the British system is that you start at a time. You only have elementary and then high school. There's no middle school, so there's no middle ground. So we go to high school at age 10 or 11. I started at 10. But in that space, so I'm in a school where I'm seeing all these, you know, almost adults, teenagers, and I'm 10 and I'm, I want to get in on the things that they're doing. So by the, by the time I was like 11, I was starting in a trade. And so music was my first trade. So I was a disc jockey for 20 years. Wow. Yeah, and I've done everything in the music business. I've managed artists, I've produced music, I've done the whole gamut. But at some point, it wasn't for me. Why? I was a family man. I was raising children. I wanted to get home and be there for them in, in special times. And being a DJ, you don't have that type of life. Yeah. You work till Start four at in the night morning. till four yeah. o'clock in the morning. Yes. Exactly. I was working at clubs in Brooklyn at some you point. You can't keep a be... wife like that. <laughs> 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 no comment. But I, I was, you know, I, on occasions, on weekend, I was heading home at 8 a.m. because that's when people were leaving the club. Like, mm -hmm. it was nuts. So at some point, I gave up being in this jockey and I had to figure out how am I going to express myself as an independent entrepreneur? I've only really ever worked for myself my whole life. So what did I want to fill that, that, that creative space with? And that's when I found photography to be I'd always done it as a hobby. I've been doing photography since the early 80s because I just enjoyed it. It also, honestly, was something that would, for me, I, I am attracted to women. I, I, and so that's, for me, the thing. And women like men with cameras. So, <laughs> Do we? <laughs> in, in, my, in my humble experience, I found that there, there are a few times that it, it worked in my favor. So... No, I, I'll just say that, so if you want to take it from an intellectual perspective, I was motivated to be a hobby photographer because it definitely helped me in, in ways other than just being an artistic expression. But at the time when I needed to really fill my, my heart and my soul with artistic purpose, photography became a great tool because I'd left my home country and I wanted to tell the story of that. And so photography helped me there. But then it also helped me in so many other ways to express and to tell all these different stories. Now I run a company. It's called Island Syndicate. And our mantra, our motto, our sort of thing that we build our, our entire profile on is storytelling excellence. So to use my camera, I mean, obviously, we have many forms of storytelling excellence. We, we do many things, including writing and, and videoing and documenting in many ways. But for me, I use still photography. I use one image to tell a massive story. And 
I love doing it. It really feeds my soul. It's something that allows me to connect with the world in ways that I cannot describe easily because the pictures tell the story. Do you remember when you got your first camera? How did you get your first camera? Well, my first camera would have been, I'm going to say, borrowing without permission, my dad's <laughs> camera. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that was my first, uh, you know, opportunity to use a camera. My dad had an old Canon, I think it was called the X1. Um, and uh, he really didn't use it. And it was just sitting around the house. So I would, you know, I would borrow it and return it quietly. And um, so I, I learned to love photography by using my dad's camera. Um, my first camera, I have a bunch of cameras around here that are old as the hills. I'm going to say my first camera, I think, was an Olympus. Um, and, and, and again, I think, you know what, even though I've always loved photography, what made me really get back into it at a deeper level was having a family. Because... You know, when you have a family, then you, you're bound to want to document the journey. Like, what is it we do today? What is it we're doing on our vacation? What are we doing when the kids are going to play sports? The things of that nature. I definitely would tell you that what also inspired me at some point was my then wife, we're now divorced. Um, uh, back in the day, <laughs> she ran for political office and we were hiring photographers. They were expensive and they weren't really telling the story the way I wanted to tell it. So I was like, well, you know what? I'm going to invest in sort of upgrading my gear so that I could document her journey uh, so that we could really share with the potential constituents about the work she was doing and, and so on. And so that also helped me to sort of reinvest um, in photography. And so I bought a lot of gear in, in about 20 years ago or so. Um, you know, I sort of went back in and even though I had gear and I was really just a hobby, it kind of became more business-like when I needed certain quality of imagery. And I didn't think I was going to get that easily with the gear that I had at the time. So did you study? Did you take classes? Or are the, you just a natural artist? Because the, the there are natural that. photographers who you learn the, as you go. You learn your aperture. I mean, you learn all the things. As yeah, you go along. I, I, I definitely learned as I went along. I, I will not pretend that I did not take any classes, but I didn't do study. I didn't do it in school or didn't do it anyway, but I did take occasional classes just to make sure that what I thought I knew, I knew. So I, I've taken some of those, like, even funny enough, like uh, at high schools, I would go and take, even though I, I knew all the stuff they were teaching, just because I didn't have a club. So I, I didn't have a photography club to join. So I would go back and do some of those uh, high school classes that they would offer after hours just so I could make sure I was around other people who love photography and I could get some sense of what it was they were teaching. Though at the point I took the classes, I already knew probably more than even some of the teachers. The truth was it was just great to be in an environment with others who loved photography. So to be able to talk about it, to you know, think about new ideas, come up with creative solutions to things that you wanted to achieve. So I really was never formally trained as a photographer, but I have taken, you know, small courses here and there just to sort of make sure that I am uh, on the right track. Hmm. So what do you want people to know about this book? What do you, when they buy it and we will buy it on Sunday, what do you what do you want them to see? What what's the experience that you hope that people will have with this book? And not just Jamaicans, but 
people who who maybe are fond of Jamaica or maybe who have not been to Jamaica, what do you want them to take away? Well, you know, there's a lot of things to take away. And I, I, if, if time allows, let me go a little bit deeper here. So what I want people to understand by interacting with this piece of art, because it's not just a you know, book put out by people who you know, got pictures from the internet or from, this was literally my journey. Like I, we planned routes and we were diverted. We spent many, many, many hours day after day documenting Jamaica. And then we selected from 10,000 images, the images that are in one book. So if we have 250 pictures, we trimmed 10,000 to 1,000 and from 1,000 to 250. So it's nothing in there is by chance. It's a very intentional story. And the story is, what is Jamaica? It's not a book for Jamaicans. It's a book for anyone who has an interest in seeing the soul of a nation. It is about interacting with the people of Jamaica, the culture of Jamaica, the heritage, the, 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 the places that are noteworthy, as well as the places that are completely unknown. I've shown that book to, you know, in the, in, the, in the time since we've had our test copies. I mean, this is the very first book signing that we're doing. And I'll tell you, I've shown the book to many Jamaicans, and most of them have never been to half the places that exist in the book. It's not something that is, you know, you could have 20 of the most experienced, knowledgeable Jamaicans in a room, and most of them won't know most of the places in the book. This is a deep exploration into Jamaica in, in a way in which it really hasn't been done this way before by anyone. I love that. So in creating this and uh, uh, taking this journey, what did you discover about yourself? What did, what did you not know about yourself in relationship to the time you spent in Jamaica? Like, what, what was that like? It's a it's a it's a, a tremendous process. I, I will say, you know, that there's a lot of people to thank for what's in the book. Number one is that I have a co-photographer, so it's myself and another photographer. His name is Sean Henry. He also happens to be my best friend, and even though he was there with me every step of the way for the first book, the first book I took every picture on my own. In this book, we shared the work. I probably took about half, and he probably took about half. We didn't count to see who took what. But this is a greater story in that this effort now included the, 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 the minds of more than one person, more than one artist. Two, the, the people who contributed the different little captions and little stories and the different parts that complement the images was now a greater set of resources. Before, um, we used mostly just friends to gather around the dining table, look at the picture, come up with a name, we jotted it down. <laughs> that was 10 years ago. This was a much more um, organized effort, and we really had a great brain trust of people who were creative, who could lend experience and thought to how the pieces were named. So not only do each image detail where the picture was taken, each image also has like a caption that sort of brings another life, another dimension to the picture. This really is something that when you look at it the first time and you look at it the 50th time, you learn something different in the book every single time 
because there is no one story. You're going to notice things the first time you don't notice the second time and notice things the third time you didn't notice the first or second time you went through the book. So it's a book that will keep giving to you the more you open it, the more you share it with others. It's just really that type of an effort. It's These are not, again, it's my work and I may not be the, the right person to say this, but this is a tremendous work that's really worth looking at in depth because there's a lot going on in the, in the pages. It's over 200 pages of images of Jamaica, but it has a much greater story. And it's really about the soul of this country. Mm. I, you know, I, I had uh, Monty Alexander. I don't know if you know Monty Alexander. I do. Great jazz Absolutely. musician on Fantastic. Some, some yeah. months ago when he was here. Um, and he, he um, performed here at the Schubert. Um, and I and I, I think I had a comment I, when I was talking to him, I was like, do you bear some extraordinary responsibility to continue or raise up or walk with the culture of Jamaica? Like, do you feel like everything that you do has to have some Jamaican component to it? Do you feel that kind of commitment to the culture? I do. I, without question, I do. Now, it's, it's both unfair to myself and to anyone else coming after or before to ever think that way. But I love my country and my culture so much that I, I take that on without any reservation. I mean, the fact is I'm already wearing my country colors right here in my clothing. <laughs> I'm wearing my, again, I'm not a Rastafarian, but I'm wearing locks of my culture. Again, these are not accidental. These are intentional parts of who I am. I, I work every day to be a better person because I represent this great group of people who are Jamaicans. Like it's my, my children who were born in America grew up learning that they're Jamaican, not American, even though they are American as well, because there is a tremendous responsibility to pass on this, this great culture. And I, I don't think that everyone takes it as seriously as I do, but there's no question to me that this is the way that you must live, having been given the opportunity to, to be exposed to and develop yourself in that culture. You asked at the very beginning about what it was to, you know, what's the experience of growing up being Jamaican, and I never properly answered that. But I'll say this, it is to learn, and, and there are many flaws of being Jamaican. I'm not, there's no perfect person. But I can promise you that there is a, I want to call it a warrior spirit of being alive. That being Jamaican brings to everyone who is Jamaican. Like even if you are the most quiet person and reserved and you're, your personality is not like mine to be outgoing and loud. You still bring with that that same warrior spirit of excellence and of, you know, the striving for greatness, even in the most quiet and reserved person, just by being Jamaican. It's it's palpable. It's it. I don't know how to explain it, but it is something that we all should bear as a responsibility. And I certainly hope that all Jamaicans, whether you were born in Jamaica or born of Jamaica and somewhere else in the world, feel and feel that responsibility to continue. Now, do, you, do you ever have um, moments or opportunities to think about the politicalness of Jamaica and immigrants and 
and Jamaica's celebrating 60 years of liberation. Like, do you, do you have room in your artistry for sharing that or do you allow yourself opportunity to think, talk about politics? I definitely do. I have, I do not fear politics. My mother told me at a very young age, the only thing she did not want for me to be is to be a politician. (laughs) (laughs) And since my mom has now passed 15 years ago, I will say this, it's, it's, it's been tempting to, to, to go into the realm um, against her wishes. I have not. I've been invited to many times. I've been told I'm a shoe in to get a seat or, you know, I'd get all the support needed. I have chosen not to be an elected official, but I'm not afraid of politics. And I absolutely am uh, discouraged by the things that are not great about Jamaica. And one of them is our politics. I believe that it's extremely unfortunate that there is a high level of corruption in the country and that the corruption primarily exists within the political classes. So um, am I proud of that? Not at all. Am I willing to speak about it all the time? And am I hoping that the work that I do affects the world that is Jamaica and that it changes what occurs there? I believe it does. I believe the work that I do is a part of a greater movement of being responsible Jamaican that will, without a doubt, at some point, defeat the continuity of corruption and uh, bad politics. Mm. That's that's pretty impressive. That's pretty impressive. And so you you live in South Florida. I live in South Florida. Yeah, I I <laughs> it's. Listen, so I lived in New York City and I loved it, but this is the closest place to Jamaica that's yeah. in America. And that's a big reason why I'm here. I, my dad, my sister, my family still exists in Jamaica. I go there all the time. I make many trips. I've already been, I think, maybe three times or four times already this year. I will definitely be going down again next month and probably at least two more times after that this year. So I go to Jamaica a lot. I'm still very integral in life in Jamaica, but I do primarily reside in South Florida. Mm. And 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 your feelings on politics in South Florida? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'll, I'll, I'll happily state that South Florida is not like the state of Florida and that it is very different here than it is in Central and Northern Florida. So I am... I'm happy to say that I think South Florida is in a much better place, but there is concerns even in South Florida politically, because of course, if you want to, you know, like look at the facts of the matter is that one in four, one in four people in South Florida was born in the Caribbean. That's a fact. That's, that's, that, and I say a fact, meaning that's what the census data tells us. Now, it doesn't tell us the people who didn't report on the census that we're also born in the Caribbean, which might mean that our numbers are greater. But at least at the very minimum, one in four here were born in the Caribbean, which means that if you think if you think of first and second generation Caribbeans in South Florida, we make up the majority of South Florida without a doubt. You have the Cuban population, the Haitian population, the Jamaican population, and I could go on. And then for someone like me, who I don't know if you're aware, 
I am the co-founder of the only Caribbean museum in the world. And as such, I am also highly political in that realm. And my thinking is that if we call the Caribbean, and now this is my definition, all the people who are either from the islands of the Caribbean, as well as all the countries that touch the Caribbean Sea, including Suriname, Guyana, Panama, Belize, Honduras, and so on. And we can list all the countries that are in Central and South America that touch the Caribbean Sea, that have the same shared history, the same shared colonialism, the shared states, shared slavery, et cetera, et cetera. If we go and look at that body of people and their, let's just say, their effect on South Florida and the politics here, then I'll tell you honestly that we're in a good place in South Florida, but can we bring the rest of the state along? And I'm not here mm. to talk politics today, but, <laughs> but, but you ask leading questions and I can't ignore <laughs> the fact that surely there is, um, there is a distinction between the state of Florida and the state of South Florida. I, I agree. So um, we, got, we got a few more minutes. Um, were you creative during the pandemic? Did it did it grow you or did it stifle you? Did it? It grew me tremendously. Okay. I, I, at first, at first, there was a big, <laughs> big pause, and so I felt like hands were tied and nothing was going to happen. But then we birthed the museum, and that's really what happened. We had no work in 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 our traditional work. And so we had this big space and time. We'd already been doing a tremendous amount of work um, bringing Caribbean artifacts to different venues throughout South Florida. We, we had a, a touring museum we, for one year in particular, and we'd you know, literally been month by month pulling down and building up these different displays in um, art galleries, in libraries, in museums, in, in, in various ways, because this is the work that I've been um, purpose to do in my life and the pandemic came and it stopped a lot of things but it allowed us a space and the time to say you know what it's time for us to own our own space and for us to celebrate our heritage of the Caribbean not just of being Jamaica now and and so the, the time allowed us to create a brand new space and so during the very first few months of the pandemic we created the first ever Caribbean museum in the world not, not, not just out really in the world. It's the that only is one. Amazing. Google Island Space Caribbean Museum. Just Google it whenever you're ready. Or you can go to islandspacefl.org. And we created that within the first four months of the pandemic. We had already been doing a lot of the work. But based on that huge pause, we were then able to work on and develop the space that now is thriving and is still, to this point, the only existing place that celebrates the entire Caribbean as one unified group in any way, the heritage or the culture or anything like that. I think, I think, I think Bob Marley is smiling. <laughs> <laughs> I think he just took one love to a whole other, whole other uh, level. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there, there's a lot. And, you know, the work that we do is because, we didn't choose the work. The work chose us. Like it was, it, you know, many people ask, is this an original idea? It, nothing is original. 
there's nothing, I didn't come up with it like, ah, oh, voila, this is David's idea. No, it's just the continuity of work that was started by many others. And finally it's come to something physical to present. But this is not my work. Uh, I, I have a co-founder, my business partner, her name is Philippe Thompson. We worked on this together. But honestly, outside of the two of us, we have to have a board. We have to have willing participants who give the artifacts. We have, there's so many parts to it that, you know, how do I realistically accept that this is my work? It's not, it's our unified space. And it will only continue for a long time if others give in the same way that I'm giving and, and, and are inspired to make the work continue. So I, I look forward to seeing how the Caribbean Museum grows and how it expands to be more spectacular as time goes on. Well, I know that you will be here on Sunday, September 25th yes. from four to six, and you're gonna be at Bloom, which is one of my favorite places in the city. Um, Bloom is at 794 Edgewood Avenue, and you will be signing your books. They'll be there I for will. sale and you'll be signing them and I will be in line. So I could get my uh, I could get my uh, my book signed. It was a pleasure meeting and talking to you, David. Thank you. And I look forward. We're we're putting in the chat um, the link to to the to the gallery, so 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 people can see it. Oh, yeah. thank you, Harry Droz. Wow, that's a huge space. Thank you so much. That's the work that we did. So okay, now that might be a destination. I might have to make my way to South yeah, Florida. Yeah, uh, get your visa ready. Get your visa. You know you got to get a visa for Florida. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've enjoyed this conversation. I look forward to meeting you in live and living color on Sunday at uh, four to six at Bloom. Thank you for the time, David. I appreciate it. Thank greatly. you for the opportunity. Have a great day. You too. Take good care. Thank you, Harry. Thank you, Nora. Um, I'm out. Good people. Enjoy the rest of your day. I'll be back tomorrow. See y'all.